Well, thank you for being here. We are involved in a study of the book of Philippians. And so if you will turn to Philippians chapter 4 and hold that in readiness, we'll get there in just a moment. Uh, Let me just begin this morning by saying that there are few experiences in life, as I thought about it, that could be any more unsettling to our joy and our peace of mind than waking up from a deep sleep or waking up from some anesthetic that we took for a surgery or something along that line. And when you first wake up, you just, you've lost your bearings. You just don't know where you are. And for just a few seconds, maybe even a few moments, and I've, I've had it last for a few moments one time in the dentist chair. And I, sadly, I've probably told that story before, and I, so I won't bore you with it. But I, when I woke up, I was slumped over the dentist, the arm of the dentist chair. And nobody was in the room. I was alone. And uh, the first thing I saw was the ceiling, but I didn't know that's what it was. And I could not make head nor tails of where I was and what I was experiencing. And I thought, I know this isn't hell because it would be a lot worse than that. Uh, And uh, I don't think it's heaven because I think it would be a lot better than that. (laughs) So I was just confused for a little bit. Until we get our bearings Everything is on hold, if you know what I mean. So this letter that we've been studying, painstakingly maybe for some, but uh, appropriately, this letter to the Philippian church has been described as a pathway. It's like there's a pathway to the foyer, to the welcome center, right in front of me. There's a pathway. This letter is a pathway to the church that describes how to find true joy in life, by understanding something that everyone needs to know about, and that is how to find stability, stability, say that, stability in a highly unstable world in which we live. God wants us as believers in Christ to experience true joy in the midst of chaos, if you can imagine it, that we experience. And we do experience it because of Satan's constant attacks on Christ. And his church. You say, well, how do you know that Satan is constantly doing that? Second Corinthians 4. I'll just read it for you. Even, he says, even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, covered over, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God, that's a little g, that's not Jehovah God, that's little gods of this world, in whose case the God, not gods, plural, but the little g, God of this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So this little g, God, who is against the church of Jesus Christ, who is against us, who are, who are in Christ, who have, who have received the light of the gospel into our hearts and our lives, and we've become Christians, and we've asked Christ to live in our hearts, whatever, the little g, God, the devil, Satan, has blinded what? Our ears? You don't blind the ears. He's blinded what? The minds. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. The blinding of the mind. And how we make sure that our minds are not uh, veiled. So that our minds are clear and that we are critically thinking people. So... Our joy in life and our stability in knowing who we are. In other words, finding our bearings in this life. Finding our bearings is knowing who we are. 
and where and and uh, how God is working in our lives, helping us with the thinking part of our bodies, the brain. So this morning we're going to be focusing a little on the brain, the thinking part of our experience. So I titled this morning's message "Godly Thinking." Godly thinking. Here's a quote from someone who lived 600 years before Jesus was, um, came, to, came to the earth in the form of a, of a baby. Now, how many of us understand that's not when Jesus was created? How many of us know that? How many of us know he wasn't created? How many of us know that he always was? Amen? Okay, so, so before Jesus exposed himself to the world in the form of a little baby, somebody 600 years before he showed himself gave this quote. Now, remember, we're thinking about the mind, the brain, the activity of thinking, godly thinking. And here's what he said. I would tell you his name. I have it in my notes, but I'm not going to broadcast his name because he doesn't know truth. But this particular saying that he gave bears some truism. Here's what he said. Watch your thoughts, for they become words. Watch your words, for they become actions. Watch your actions, for they become habits. Watch your habits, for they become character. Watch your character, for it becomes your destiny. Now there is some there is some wisdom in that. That's why I put this in here. There, it's 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 challenge it's challenged my brain, my thinking as I was studying for the message today. This man, born six hundred years before Jesus uh, appeared, had some wisdom, and uh, uh, he, he. But listen, he's not the first one to come up with this. What if I told you in Genesis six? That's the first book of the Bible. We're going to get to Philippians. Hang on. I told you to hold it in readiness, but we'll get there. But listen to what the Word says uh, about this subject of thinking. 6, verses 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The thinking aspect of our lives. God said, the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So what we do with our minds is so vital to our faith. That's what I think Paul wants us to see. What we do with our minds, how we train our minds to think, has a great deal to do with our faith. So I want us to consider some perspective on the importance of thinking when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ. There's somebody that's done a lot of good work uh, when it comes to the thinking aspect of faith. And some of you have uh, read his books. Some of you may have heard him speak. Uh, Cynthia and I have had the pleasure of uh, meeting him and having him in uh, one of our churches in the past. And he's a fascinating guy to have a meal with and to listen to. But Josh McDowell has something to say about how the brain, how 
Godly thinking is so important to our faith. I want you to watch this little clip. Like so many other people, I did believe that the Christian faith was a blind faith. But after becoming a Christian and studying what Christ taught and the Bible teaches, I realized this. The heart cannot rejoice in what the mind rejects. God has given us a mind to know him, a heart to love him, and a will to choose him. And all three need to be operational, the mind, the heart, and the will, in a maximum relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We live in a contingent universe. And in a contingent universe, it's pretty hard to prove anything 100%. It can even be difficult in math. And yet, because you cannot prove it 100%, does not mean you don't check it out. For example, a lot of people say, well, it's, it's, it's just credulity. And I'll say, faith, yes. Credulity, absolutely not. Now, what's credulity? Credulity means to be gullible, undiscerning, unreasonable. Faith, yes. Credulity, absolutely not. It's like in flying an airplane. Let's say you're a pilot. And you go out, it's been a while since you've flown your plane, it's pulled out of the hangar. You don't just get in the plane uh, without checking the tires, checking the gas, anything else, just turn it on, start it up, and take off. That's pure ignorance. That's, a, um, that's operating by a blind faith. What does a pilot do? He goes out there. He checks the tires. He checks the rudder, the wings. He checks the gas. He runs a pressure check. He goes through all of his checklists. And then when it's all cleared, then he takes off. Flying an airplane is similar to Christianity. I had to check out all the truth about it. So faith, yes. Credulity, absolutely not. It is an intelligent faith, which means believing with the reliable evidence. Not credulity, believing without any evidence or going contrary to truth. A non-believer said to me, it didn't make any difference what is believed as long as you sincerely believed it. That goes against everything that is taught in the scriptures and the Christian faith. It is an intelligent faith. So you can see Josh is speaking to the importance of how we train the mind and how the mind uh, works in conjunction with our faith uh, to uh, help us be stable in our journey in serving the Lord. So let's see what Paul says about how, how we are to think, how we are to regulate our minds and discipline our minds. Here we go, Philippians 4 and 2 verses 8 and 9. Finally, so he's, he's saying, look, this has been a little bit of a four-chapter letter, but finally, in summary... Uh, I've been talking to you about joy. I've been talking to you about how to stand firm and be stable in your journey with the Lord. So finally, brothers and sisters of the church, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise Dwell on these things, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, which was Paul's teaching and the example of his life, 
the things that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, Paul, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we might summarize, uh, let's just, uh, all you English majors, let's look for the two action verbs in those two verses. All right? Have you, have you found them? Dwell, and verse 8, and verse 9, what? Practice. You got it. Dwell and practice. Let's say it. Dwell and practice. We might say it this way. Think and do. Let's say it. Think and do. Think the brain matter. Okay, the mind. Think and do. Dwell and practice. Think and do. I feel like I'm in the first grade, Pastor Tim. This is crazy. So questions like come up like this. But dwell on what? Dwell on what? Or think on what? Or practice what? Or do what? You know, if the leader of North Korea had gotten up this morning, way before we did, and thought for some reason, after all of the talks with our president, the United States, and our people, and all that sort of thing, had gotten up and had a thought had a thought that it was a good idea when he got up the, the, the next morning to fire a missile across the Japanese airspace. If he thought that was a good idea when he got up this morning, the brain thinking, if he thought that was a good idea, he might have changed a lot of things for a lot of people around the world today. Amen. May very well have happened. So you see, it's not just thinking and doing It's not just dwelling and practicing. There's more to it than that. And Socrates uh, had it right, I think, when he helped us to understand something with a little uh, quote or teaching that he gave us down through the years. And we need to educate our doing with God's values in mind. And here's how Socrates kind of put that for us this morning. And I quote, Socrates established the fact that one cannot depend upon those in authority to have sound knowledge and insight. He demonstrated that persons may have power and high position and yet be deeply confused and irrational. He established the importance of asking deep questions that probe profoundly into thinking before we accept ideas as worthy of belief, unquote. And that is exactly why we want our students and our student ministries here at Lakeview uh, not going off to a secular school if they choose to do that without knowing how to think. That is exactly what Jessica is trying to do in the youth. If you if you don't know that, then you need to stop by, pop in for a little visit, and catch her on a Wednesday night. Last Wednesday night, Cynthia and I went uh, went in, and and Mariah didn't she do a nice job opening the service this morning? Mariah, do you know that the, that she and her husband are going to be leaving us as soon as they finish their their program, and they will be going to Twelve Stone Church in Atlanta as uh, a part of a program that that they've already been chosen. So they're they're a wonderful young couple. 
that are being used of the Lord. And Mariah gave a wonderful teaching last Wednesday night that, that uh, Jessica had set up. We want our young people to know how to use their brains in thinking before they go out into a job market or into a secular atmosphere or something along that line where they are going to run into smart people, talented people, people who are are in high positions and who may have tremendous authority but do not understand the things of God. Hello? We want our young people to know how to think before they leave the nest, so to speak. And the church is a a nest uh, along with uh, the home. Why? Because if we're not careful, we might find ourselves being influenced by a person who incorrectly answers important questions in life. Important questions like the bat and the ball question. Now, I want all the math majors. How many math majors do we have in the room? How many people really good with math? Okay, all right. All the math majors have to be quiet. You're not allowed to say anything because I'm getting ready to pose the bat and the ball question to the audience. And so you be quiet because I know you'll get the answer. But here's, have we got the picture of the bat and the ball? Okay, a bat and a ball cost $1.10 in total. The bat costs $1 more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? Okay, I heard it already, 10 cents. Wrong. And that goes against every bit of your logic if you said 10 cents. The correct answer is five cents. And you don't understand that, do you? I had to read it through a couple times myself. <laughs> a bat and a ball cost a dollar ten in total. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? The correct answer is five cents. Why? All right, here we go. If the ball costs ten cents and the bat costs a dollar more than the ball, then the bat would cost a dollar ten for a grand total of a dollar twenty. The correct answer to this problem is that the ball costs five cents and the bat costs a dollar more, a dollar five for a grand total of a dollar and ten cents. Aren't you glad you came to math class today? <laughs> now some of you that went zoom and you are thinking, I still don't agree with that. And if you don't, I want you all to form a line in the foyer. Dave Newell will be out there and he will explain this problem to you sufficiently so that you can believe it. Here's the point. You say, why, why did I give you that? That's from the Journal of Cognitive Psychology, by the way. Why did I give you that? Because it's easy to make a mistake. It's easy for anybody to make a mistake especially when they are leaders, especially when they are influencers, especially when they are people who are training our world and our young people. Amen? People make mistakes. Do you know behavioral scientists have determined that the average person entertains how many thoughts a day? How many thoughts per day? The answer is, I don't know how anybody would calculate something like that, but it's too much time on their hands or something like that, but it's 70,000 thoughts per day that they say goes through our minds. 
Some of those thoughts are going to come from people who got the bat and the ball problem wrong. Are you with me? Some of those people who are projecting ideas to others are the same people who got the math problem wrong. Some of those thoughts are going to come from people who don't understand math at all. Now follow me. Follow the logic of this, if you will. Some of those, those thoughts that others project to others may come from highly educated and highly placed individuals who don't know much about God and faith. If you have a teacher, a professor who is highly educated and highly trained, and they really know something about God and faith, you've really got something good going for you. That's a wonderful thing. And that's why we have organizations like Indiana Wesleyan University and Taylor University and others like that, who hopefully screen their staff and they bring people in to teach our young people from a standpoint of knowledge, a knowledge content and a knowledge base of something about God and faith. Sometimes... Highly educated and highly influential and highly authoritative people don't get the math problem right or the God issue right. That's why we want all of our young people to know how to think for themselves when they go into these classrooms or read these books or see these movies or these different things that are on television and so on and so forth. For example, you want to see an example? When you hear one, here it is, a man named Bertrand Russell. How many of you have heard of Bertrand Russell? There's a picture of him. He died in 1970, I believe, if I got my facts right. Here's a quote that he made about uh, something you and I are doing this morning. We are experiencing church, so to speak. And here's a quote from Bertrand Russell. It is ridiculous to give young people a sense of sin. Because they have a natural curiosity about an important matter. There is no rational ground of any sort or kind for keeping a child ignorant of anything that he may wish to know, whether on sex or any other matter. And we shall never get a sane population until this fact is recognized in early education which is impossible so long as the churches are able to control educational politics, unquote. Let me tell you something else about Bertrand Russell and something that he said, and I quote from an article by a, a lady that I, you know, I could give you, you need to know. And here's what he said. In his autobiography, Russell reflected on his own death, pointedly referring to that moment as the night of nothingness. He notes, there is a darkness without. And when I die, there will be a darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere. Only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. In dramatic contrast are the equally pointed words of another great mind, who spoke centuries earlier as the Apostle Paul looked with anticipation toward his own death, he explained, To me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. I desire to depart and be with Christ 
which is better by far. Unquote. So sometimes the highly regarded Bertrand Russell was misguiding folks about the God he thought he knew, but who knew, but, but in fact he knew very little about. A fellow by the name of Kingsley Glass is quoted as saying this, What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it diminishes. Now let me stop right here. Some people have already determined not to attend to the words of this message. It isn't that they're against me personally. It isn't that they're against necessarily what might be said. They just decided they're not going to attend to it this morning because they feel sleepy or they feel it's boring or they feel like they wish it would hurry up and be over with or whatever the reason is. And so if there's been no attending to the words that are spoken or going to be spoken, it gets diminished. That's what that second line is about. The third line goes, what the mind attends to continually, it believes. What the mind believes, it eventually does. So it seems obvious that Bertrand Russell's mind did not attend to the gospel or faith or God. So he dismissed it and concluded that death ended in nothingness. How pathetic. How pathetic for him personally. How pathetic for those who took his classes or read his materials. How pathetic for the influence that he had. Somebody else had something to say about the mind in Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. Listen, listen to this. One of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. I think that isn't that here is mind the word mind up there. Does anybody see that? Is that up there or is it on the other side? That's on this side with all your mind, with all your brain activity. Paul tells us that we can expect if we do this, if we, if we train our mind to think on the proper things that God approves of, the things that are, and I'm going to give them to you again, that there will come from the Father above. You can't get it any other way. There will come a certain peace. There will come a certain joy. There will come a certain stability in an unstable world when our minds are fixed on things like whatever's true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, think on these things, attend to these things, because what we think on, what we attend to, continually, we believe, and ultimately, do ultimately do. So dwell and do. Think and do. Think and practice. This is consistent with the last book that we studied. James one twenty one. 
See if this sounds familiar if you've been with us for a while. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word, the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers, doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. We studied that, you remember? For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Do you know that in the church around the world today, sadly, there are, there are a lot of professional listeners. Lots of professional listeners. People who hear it, but never do it. And they're sadly labeled the, the unsaved church. The unsaved church. There could be some here this morning that fit that. Some that are in church Every Sunday, sometimes every time the church doors are open for a program. But they're unsaved because they are not doers. They are hearers. They are pulling up to the table, but they are not living any kind of a changed life. Forgetful hearers, like James is talking. So if we want true peace, if we want true peace, if we want joy in our lives, and who doesn't? That walks us through this life with a certain stability. See, we want our young people to go to the, to, to, to the, to the uh, universities. And we want our young people to go to graduate schools. And we want our young people, if God's leading, to take their, their advanced degrees. And we want our people who go into the workforce. And we want our people who are growing, uh, going up through the ranks and, and being uh, promoted and, and sometimes end up in very influential places and sometimes make lots of salary, lots of money and compensation, sometimes lots of influence in the world. We want our people to know how to be stable before God in those places, in those environments. If we want true peace and joy that walks through this life with stability and a faithfulness, with the kind of thinking and doing that Paul speaks of here, we must develop something that I would just simply call mental muscle memory. Mental muscle memory. If any of you have watched any of the basketball uh, tournament this, this weekend, it's getting ready for the March Madness. And isn't it amazing how some of these, these folks can get up to the foul line. And I, 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 I tell you that I think some of them could just about close their eyes if they're pointing in the right direction and just pop it in there. It just goes through just like it's nothing to hit that basket. Just nothing. You know where that comes from? Muscle memory. Practice. Foul shot after foul shot after... How many of you have ever played on a ball team? Foul shot after foul shot after foul shot after foul shot. And we can go watch one of the teams. Oh, we can go watch IWU. They're finished now, but during the season. And you, you can just better believe that if, if, if Greg's team is not strong at the foul line, you can better believe what they'll be doing in practice the next week. 
going to be doing muscle memory, foul shot, foul shot, practice, practice. That comes from practice until it's nearly automatic. So, Jessica, make these young people, as make it as palatable as you can, make it as fun as you can, but make them practice, practice, practice developing their minds in terms of how do we deal with the apologetics needed to handle a friend or someone in the locker room, someone in the classroom, someone at a new job that you got when you graduate and you go get the world of work going, and they tell you something crazy about God and about faith, and it rocks you and it shakes you. Instead, you should be rocking and shaking their world because you know Your mind has got muscle memory, and we know how to address these kinds of things. We don't move over easily just because we left home and went away to college. Hello? Parents? Grandparents? Am I speaking truth? Do we not, are we not concerned about these things? Those of us who have children and grandchildren and great grandchildren that when they leave the nest and when they leave the home church and they go off to the universities or job, the job market or whatever it is, that we have this concern that, that they don't, they don't move over in their faith just because they went away to college or got a job. We don't move over easily just because we got a a job that caused us to make new friends. And those new friends don't share our faith. They don't, they don't share our, our belief in God and, and the, and the life in Jesus Christ. We don't move over easily because we've been thinking and practicing for our opportunities to show God we are for real when we are on our own. God, I am the real deal. With your help, I'm not moving over. I don't care. You can't make me. You cannot make me recapitulate what I have been taught, what I have studied, and what I have embraced, that I have attended to, that has become a habit in my life for a reason, not foolishly, and that I'm going to let go of that. No, I've got a mental Memory, muscle memory going on. I can remember one time uh, my son and I went uh, to with a friend and and his son, about the same age as our son. And uh, somebody let us stay in their, their condo on a lake somewhere. And one of the things they had in the lower level was one of those little basketball goal things, little portable jobbies, you know, the little rim about so big and the ball's only about so big and whatever. And the deal wasn't to try to make a basket. The deal was in 60 seconds, who can get the most baskets? 60 seconds, and you got three or four balls, and they just keep coming down to the bottom, and you just shoot. And guess what? If you, if you want to win, what happens is you get the muscle memory thing going. You almost don't even look at the basket. I mean, you know where it is. You're pointing in the right direction, but you're just kind of going, boom, 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 boom. And pretty soon they just start dropping, boom, boom, boom. And then you, you do that for about two or three hours <laughs> pretty soon. Pretty soon you can rack up some big numbers. It's mental muscle memory. And we do that, we do that in life. We should do it spiritually, Paul is saying. That helps with stability living in an unstable world. So let's say it a few times with a little mental muscle memory. Think and do. Ready? Here we go. Think and do. Think and do. Come on. Think and do. First grade, think and do. Think and do. Think about it. Do it. Think about it. Do it. Think and do. Practice these things 
Paul says to us this morning, and the God of peace will be with you. It's a promise from God. The God of peace will be with you if you will practice thinking on these things, things that are honorable, things that are of good repute, things that are true. God will give us that peace. So let's pray. Let's pray about uh, continuing to not only train our minds, but practicing after the training, practicing after the training of the mind. Heavenly Father, uh, in this morning, as we have taken a look at just a very basic truth about living the Christian life, I pray that you will help us to uh, make sure, first of all, that we're not just a professional listener, but that at some point in our lives, it became so much more to us than just observable facts. That there's something about a relationship with you that turned our behavior upside down. It literally changed us when we asked Jesus Christ to come into our lives. And then Jesus, as he did with his disciples, began to train them. And he mentally helped them to develop a memory, a muscle memory, a spiritual muscle memory, so that after he left and and uh, went to be with you, Heavenly Father, knowing that they would meet tremendous obstacles from the little g God of this world, that they would know how to speak, that they would know how to think, that they would not be unstable in an unstable world, but that they would be stable, stable for the churches that they would start, stable for the friends that they would make and converts that they would win to Jesus, stable for those of us who would come many years later and would read the letters and the stories like we've done this morning, stable for you. Lord, help us to be a more stable people. Help us in our Sunday school classes, in our teaching uh, arenas, in our small groups, uh, from the pulpits uh, and and the places where we can uh, have influence, that we would not be filled with empty chatter, but that that we would know the Word of God because we've been reading it, we've been studying it, we've been listening to it, but more importantly, we have been applying it to our lives and so father sometimes it's painful sometimes it hurts and sometimes we stub our toes and we're embarrassed and sometimes we hurt one another and sometimes we disappoint one another but because of jesus christ we have forgiveness and we can start afresh again and father we we don't want to be that which is unstable and we want to have joy from heaven in our hearts And so help us to train our minds. Help us to think on the proper things to think about. And help us to be able to know error when we hear it. Lord, there is so much error that I hear in our politics today. There is so much error that I feel in our culture today in certain areas. There is so much error on the television. There is so much error on the internet. There's so much error error in the universities sometimes in some places there's so much error 
in the, the locker rooms and the lunch rooms of the places where we work. There's so much error. Help us to be a stability for you in the midst of instability. Forgive us where we've failed. Help us to be thankful and proud that we can come into a place like this and we can just rejoice. Uh, the first part of our service, Father, felt like we were at a spiritual pep rally. We all got goosebumps and thought it was great. But right here at the seat of Jesus and his and Paul and, and the trainers, we are learning stability so that we can always have joy. We can always have the goosebumps go and come and go. And we can handle it when the goosebumps aren't there. We can handle it with your help. We want to be mature. We want to be stable in our relationship with you. And we do pray for our young people and those that guide our young people, Jessica and her, her workers and Ms. Kayla and her workers. Lord, it's so vital that our leaders, our teachers uh, be mature and that they, they invest in these minds and get them trained up so that when they leave this nest, they will not fall away just because they left. Thank you, Father, for your word of truth. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? There's a little bit of white out there. You're going to be okay. Amen? You're going to be okay. God is good. He said he will never leave you nor forsake you. And I want to make sure that if you have not signed up, ladies, uh, for the simulcast, I want to make sure that you do that. I want to make sure, I think we probably have some, some extras of these if everybody didn't get one for themselves. We want everybody to have one. We want every kid to have one. What's it take? 30, 30 pennies for a child? 30 nickels? 30 dimes? 30 quarters? 30 dollars? 30 hundred dollars? 30. <laughs> we said be generous. It's not going to stay here. It's going to go out to bless people. So, Father, thank you for the generosity of your people. Thank you for uh, making us a church called Lakeview. Thank you for those who came to visit with us and to put their toe in the water. We pray that they felt encouraged and affirmed and that they'll uh, consider maybe uh, looking to this place as a potential church home. And for those of us who've been here for a while, Lord, help us to hold steady. Help us to not be shaken one way or the other. And help us, Lord, to always be open to learning new truths about you. Help us to develop our muscle memory in our minds and and training our brains, Lord, to think on the right things. Keep us safe now as we go out. May your rich blessing be upon us. And may you inspire us to serve you better every day that we live. In Jesus' name, amen.